special welcome also to all of our visitors here in the house this morning. It's great. And uh, to those listening on Podbeam, Spotify and so forth, welcome to our house here at Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre and thank you for joining us today. Um, Hearing from God is my prayer for you today. Amen? And we can all hear from God. And uh, we have what you would call spiritual ears. And when they're open and tuned in, you can tune into ABC and listen to ABC. You can tune into SBS and you can hear SBS. And you can tune into God. You can open up the Word of God. You can begin to pray. And you can too hear from God. I was having a conversation in the last few days with someone about different aspects of church life. Talking about the necessity of having a church that you can call a spiritual home. I think it's vital. I think it's a wonderful thing to have. How out of kilter we can feel when we don't have that spiritual security and connection. And what it means to be part of a church family. How vital that is. Not only just to you, but also to the church. I was talking about that just a couple of days ago with somebody. Who here has ever felt a little bit out of kilter when you didn't have a spiritual home? When you didn't have a good church family that you were comfortable with? And it's vital. The Bible speaks of having a good fellowship because it's healthy for us individually. And you, by you coming, is healthy for the fellowship. We always think it's from our perspective only, but the Bible doesn't speak quite about it quite like that. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring this fellowship before your throne of grace. I pray this word that I bring from my heart, Lord, comes across with the heart of God and the heart of a shepherd. I pray, Lord, that you would minister to people so individually here today that they would freely receive from you through your word in Jesus' name. Many times when ministering and bringing in a message, it's often delivered sometimes in a prophetic style. Sometimes we bring a message and it's evangelistic in flavour. Perhaps a teaching format or a message preached with boldness, with the intent that it would impart faith to the believer's heart. And here in this house, we've preached messages in all those different modes. But as you probably can tell by the way that I prayed, I'd like to endeavour to minister in a way this morning, speaking from the heart of a shepherd to the flock. Amen? Because that is my heart. And the role of the shepherd is to lead, to guide, and to feed, and to water, and to nurture, and to protect. Amen? And I have your best intent, my best intent for each and every one of you here in this house. So the title of my message this morning is Having a Spiritual Home. Asking the questions, where do you worship and where do you serve? Is there anybody here who is interested in developing or gaining spiritual momentum in your life? Would there be any people in the house this morning who are keen for that? Having some spiritual momentum or gaining spiritual momentum? Taking a, a, a body from a point of rest and getting it up and going takes a lot of effort, says the laws of physics. But once you're up and running and have momentum, it's a lot easier to keep going. And that's really the, the, really the, uh, quite a bit of my message this morning. But whether you're young, whether you're single, whether you're married or retired, as a believer, 
the coming together of the saints for worship, as we've just done this morning, teaching, prayer, and fellowship is what we'll be doing after when we share tea and coffee. You know what we do out there is, is amazing and vital to your Christian walk? Just fellowshipping with one another and being with one another after the service is an extension of what we do in here. It's not isolated from it. And so the command by the Apostle Paul when he wrote, and he says, and don't neglect the fellowship of believers and all the more as you see the day approaching. And the way that it was written comes to us as a warning. Because in, in the uh, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, they're all end time scriptures speaking of the end of end of days in which the church age currently is. We don't have to be that wise to turn onto the TV knowing that we're in amazing days. Amen? Things are not really normal. Would you say that? And it says that in this end of end of days, the greatest thing that will take the people out is deception. And the first thing that it says, take heed that you don't neglect the fellowship of the saints. And nothing will take your Christian life out quicker than neglecting the fellowship of the saints. Why? Because we're all here to protect and to love and to nurture and to build up and encourage one another. Fellowship is a vital part of our Christian walk and YouTube just doesn't cut it. You may get the best preacher on earth, but he's in the United States. What good is he to you when you've got Jeff around the corner? He can drop a table off when you're having a party, amen? That happened yesterday, didn't it? See, we know the state of the flock, and a shepherd is to know the state of the flock. So let me in on a few things so I can be of assistance and help pray with you and join with your faith. So Jewish tradition teaches us that there was always a synagogue in a region or town where there was at least 10 Jewish men. There was always what you would call a church. If there was 10 Jewish men, there was always a church. And so we see when Paul went to Philippi, when he first stepped on European soil to bring the gospel, that there was no synagogue. In other words, there was basically no believers in the whole region. And so the early church also spoke often of meeting daily. And it's no wonder that the Lord added daily to the church those who were saved. They met daily, they prayed daily, they searched the scriptures daily, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so you will see in time to come that this church door probably will never close. Who remembers the day when church doors were never locked? I was raised as a Catholic boy. I was. And my father wanted to be a priest a week before he got married. Somebody knocked some sense into him and then I was born. Amen. It was a good thing. But there was a day when the church door was never closed. It wasn't a good day. Now they can't do it. But I want to see this church door open every day of the week. Mother's week and, and uh, time for the ladies and time for the blokes and barbecue breakfast and th things happening. We've got a church fellowship. We've got, we got a whole community going on here. And more so, we need the support of one another as we see the day approaching. A common question we ask of ourselves is where do you worship? When you come into, you go down the street and you meet somebody and you realise they're a fellow believer in Christ. They're born again of the spirit of the living God. 
They love the Bible, they love worship, they love fellowship. And we say, where do you worship? That is a common question, isn't it? But I believe a more pertinent question would be, where do you serve? Where do you have a vested interest? Because sometimes we can just be church hoppers. We go from here to here. I don't really mind where people fellowship. I pray every single day for a particular pastor here in town. Every single day, twice a day, I pray for him and I pray for his church. I love him. And we all need to be encouraged, amen? We all. So the question is not where, but where do you serve? Where do you have a vested interest? Where are your resources ploughed into? The vested interest of our ministry gifts, I talked about ministry gifts and gifts of the Spirit in the midweek meet, and I I trust you download that message because I believe it'll be helpful to you. But your gifts, your abilities, your time and talents, as well as your diligent tithes and offerings are sown into the fellowship, and it's for the benefit of Jeff's church? No way in the world. It is Christ's church. The Lord says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I don't have a vision for this church. My job is to find out what God's vision is for this church. It's not my church. It's our church. Amen. You are the church. This church is not the building. It is the people. It's the people. It's the people. And so the words sacrifice, commitment and sowing, they haven't been dispensed with in the gospel message. Things like uh, diligence and study and commitment. These are gospel things. Uh, And so we shouldn't dispense of them even in this me, my and I sort of age. They rage against... What about sacrifice? Does anybody these days really know the meaning of that word? We've dispensed with that word thinking, I don't need to sacrifice. But they will produce a harvest of righteousness in your life... And your life will be a blessing to the whole body of believers. And so Psalm 110 verse 3, it's a great scripture. It says, your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. Isn't that a good scripture? Your people, that's God's people, that's you and I, shall be volunteers. You won't withhold your gifts and abilities and talents and resources from the body of Christ. You will volunteer in the day of God's power. Become part of the solution of this fellowship of believers and look for a way to be a blessing. I've found when I have not had a vested interest in a church, I can come and sit. I've done this, okay? I would be one of the greatest offenders in early and parts and seasons in my Christian walk. But I've come, taken a seat, looked around. I thought the air conditioning was too cold. I felt the seat was too hard. I didn't like the paintwork. It was faded and cracked. I didn't like the pulpit, one of those new fang-dangled ones. I didn't like the skinny jeans the preacher was using, nor the wide screens or the fog machines. I didn't like any of this, and I didn't like any of that. Who's ever been like that? That's me. I've been like that. So I understand if you come in here and you say, you can point out all the faults. You think, that guy up the front, he's only four foot three. What gives him a right to stand up there? The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, your pastor, well, he falls far short of the glory of God than most. And so when you can see, you say, I know that pastor, I know his faults. Well, come and see me and you'll find out the rest of them. Because there's probably more. 
you see there's no perfect church. No perfect church. And if you see an area of, there's a hollow in the church, there's a need in the church, you say, well, they don't have this and they don't have that. You know that the Lord is probably revealing to you that you are the answer to what this church needs. We are not perfect by any means, not any stretch of the imagination. Some may say, oh, that music was too loud. Somebody else says, I saw somebody over there raising their hands. Surely that can... Well, read Psalm 150. There's clanging cymbals and clashing cymbals and all those sorts of things. Church is different wherever you go. See your people. See the fruit of people's lives. We're not called to be judgmental, but we are called to be fruit inspectors. Amen? Have a look at the fruit of what these people are producing in their lives, and you'll see some... and amaze at some great things. I'd like if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews means that the men make the coffee, amen? (laughs) Hebrews chapter 10, and I'm going to go to verse 19 to 25. So give me a big hallelujah when you get there. Okay, we've got one hallelujah. Do I have a second hallelujah? Got a second hallelujah over there. Do I have a third hallelujah? Okay, we're on our way. And this is Paul, uh, no, we we don't know exactly the writer of Hebrews. Uh, Many think that it was probably Paul. But therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. How do we enter the holy of holies? By the blood of the Lamb. Amen? By a new and living way. So some people call the Christian walk the new and living way, in which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God. Our high priest is Jesus. And he's never going to change. He is the way, the the truth and the life. The same yesterday, today and forever. It goes on to say in verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. I like this one. Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. God is faithful. We can look around at even at ourselves or in the mirror and we know that there are very few things in life that are faithful. But God is faithful. Verses 24 and 25, very important to this morning. Let us consider one another. Underline that word another. In order to stir up love and good deeds. This is what we've come to do this morning. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting. That means to lift up, to encourage, to build up one another. There's that word again. And so much more as you see the day approaching. Let's go to another scripture there. But I just looked at that scripture there. Consider one another. What, is, what to do? Stir up love, good works, not forsaking the assembly exhorting one another. You see what you do for one another? We do these things for one another. We come to, to a fellowship and we think, what's in it for me? But the scripture reveals that you coming builds up somebody else. And that is the primary purpose of fellowship. And so I'll, I'll go on to Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Won't be a moment there. Therefore, if there's any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship or encouragement, that's what that word means, of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, 
being of one accord, of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let us esteem others better than ourselves. Verse 4, let each of you look not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Amazing. Most often we've looked at coming together, going to church from a me, my and I perspective. But I like the W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? That's generally W-I-I-F-M. Can you say that? W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? That's a, that's a good scripture for this generation, isn't it? W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? We do everything and we have brought this concept into the church. We say, where do I fellowship? They go, well, what's in it for me? Do they have this? Do they have that? Do they have this? Do they have that? But the fact that possibly that they don't have all these things could be the very reason that you were called there. Think about that. We see it. For, we think, where do I fellowship? Or if do I, why do I fellowship? But when we look the reason to actually an investment in others, it changes the whole perspective. It's called a gospel perspective. It's called a scripture perspective, which rages against our current thinking and what we're taught. I did not do a word search in my concordance and look for scriptures with the word another in it. But let's look at this one. Romans 10, uh, 12, 10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And so there is a book called The Concordance, and I could do a word search and look for every reference in the Bible with the, with the scripture another in it, or the word another. But I didn't do that this morning. The Lord showed me these scriptures very, very easily, just tied them all up, all in the space of a couple of minutes. That's how God operates with me. And so... But, uh, but when looking at the scripture in light of coming together as a church, it becomes very, very obvious that it's not about ourselves, but it is actually we come together for the benefit of others. Isn't that a, a shock to you? It was to me as I put it all together. So William Booth, who's heard of William Booth? He is the founder of the Salvation Army. Started off in about 1865, I believe, which was the year of the, the Civil War finished in America, but it originated in England. And uh, he was wanting to get a message through to all his leaders and workers worldwide to encourage them in the work of fighting for the souls of men. They were the original SS. And you'll see the Salvation Army had an S on one shoulder and the S on the other. And it meant saved to serve. How good is that? Saved to serve. How should I? I, I should have a shirt with that on there. The SS. Not like this. Saved to serve. And so he wanted to send a telegram. Who here has never seen a telegram? There's a few people here. A telegram was sent... And uh, you paid per letter when you sent a telegram. This is the days before emails and all that sort of stuff, way before, only about a century. <laughs> only about a century. And you paid per letter. It was very, very expensive to send a telegram. 
And he wanted to encourage all the troops all around the world. He set up an organization called the Salvation Army. And he says, as long as I see drunkens in the street, I'll fight. As long as I see prostitution, I'll fight. As long as I see this and I say that. He was a, an amazing guy who just saw the gospel. And he brought soup kitchens to the army. He did everything, whatever he could do, possibly do, to reach people for the gospel and meet their material needs as well. Save to serve. And he sent one word in a telegram format to all these leaders around the world. And that one word was others. 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 So when we come across other Christians in our daily walk, we have asked that question. I come over it again. Where do you worship? But in light of what the emphasis the Bible places on the reason we principally come together, it is clear it is very clear through all these scriptures that the reason we come together, sure, we get so much out of it ourselves, but it is for the benefit of others. Matthew 6.33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That was after what people were talking about, what shall I, Jesus was talking about, what shall I wear, where shall I live, what shall I eat, and all these sort of things. And our day-to-day -day preoccupation is about those things. But Jesus put it in context and he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And it's amazing how much of your life will fall into place when you put God preeminent, first and foremost, first in all of these things. And the Bible says, Let his name be high and lifted up. That's above our own name. Above our denomination. This denomination has saved nobody. Jesus Christ is the only one who died on the cross. No denomination has done that for any man. I don't preach this denomination. You're not baptized into the Christian Outreach Center or anything like that. You're baptized in the name of Jesus. He is the only one. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. No denomination can do that for you. When you go to heaven, if you go in there, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have made him Lord of your life, if you have made him the great shepherd over your life, when you go to heaven, you're not going to find a Catholic. You're not going to find a Presbyterian or a Uniting Church person. And you definitely won't find someone called a, a Christian outreacher. <laughs> You'll see blood-washed people in the, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Filled with the Spirit of God. Jesus is the way. When you make him first, first preeminent, tithes and offerings, what about that? Giving of your tithes and offerings. People say, oh, the church only wants your money. This church don't want your money. The Lord owns a cattle on a thousand hills. We need not be vegetarians. <laughs> There's a, God's got stacks. If you don't give, you see, the giving releases your finance that's what happens your own finances are released when you give before we went into ministry Jules and I we visited a beautiful church and we gave we gave generously the Lord showed us what we should do and out of it we did it as a we did it because I resigned from my job not knowing that I was coming here all I knew was that God wanted us in the ministry that's all we knew and I resigned from my job. Amazing, crazy thing to do, you say. 
Was it a, a walk in the dark? No, it's not. A walk, of, a, a, a walk of faith is a walk in the light. When you're hearing from God, you know that you know that you know. And it was only months away and we brought into a, this glorious ministry here. Honour the Lord. This is Proverbs 3.9. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. There's 31 chapters and you can read a chapter a day. For young people, I always encourage it because it instills wisdom into your very being. Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of your increase. And then it gives the reason. It says, so your barns will be filled with plenty. You see that? The benefit of giving is so that your barns will be filled with plenty. You hold on to your cash like so tight that your knuckles are white. Release it and you'll see the storehouse, the windows and doors of heaven open up on your life. Your possessions and gifts are like all ministry gifts. Ministry gifts, and uh, there are nine ministry gifts specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You might like to have a look at that. But they're given to us by God for the benefit of the body, the church. You see, Jesus said when he left, he says, I'm not going to leave you orphans. When he said, I, I want you to go into all the world to preach the gospel, he has given us these ministry gifts by the, which are given by the Holy Spirit and are empowered by the Holy Ghost. Acts 1.5 to 1.8. You can have a look at that. And so to the young people, where are they this morning? There they are. Jay and Emily, there they are. And the young people over here. Fantastic to see you in church. So good to see young people here. This place is going to be filled with young people shortly, amen? It is going to be filled. Why? Because we want this generation to know Jesus. And so to young people, your energy, your vitality and enthusiasm when infused into the fellowship brings so much to all of us older ones, amen? I love to see young people in church. That raw energy in life is vital to the effective functioning of the body. If one of these young ones were not here today, we would be the poorer for it. When Jay and Emily put on their reflective vests last Sunday, it was a great day, wasn't it? We had a world championship bocce playoff. Hey, it was a great day. I won. <laughs> I actually only won by default. Isn't that right, Regina? I was disqualified long ago, but because somebody had left, they needed somebody to fill in. I just happened to win the right game. That's all. And Jay was really good, and I, and I looked after him afterwards for making a wise decision. <laughs> but Jay and Emily put on these reflective vests, and they were our adjudicators and judges. And it was so good to have them there. Really, really good. And they injected some youth and energy, and it was a pleasure for us all to see them taking up their post and doing that thing. It was so good. Getting everybody up and having a go at the World Championship bocce playoff was easy. Because Jay and Emily said, you're playing, you're on next. They were, he wasn't asking, he was telling them when they were playing. And it was great. And everybody had a great time. It was a ball. I want to thank Jay. Give him a round of applause, amen? <laughs> it was so good. Emily's trying to look all really humble over there. But to the elderly, what about the elderly in the church? I, I like him like a ship's rudder and a keel. And you function not only for direction, but stability as we move forward. You elderly people, we desperately need you. We desperately need you here. And every family needs grandparents. 
And this body of believers needs the often unconditional love and wisdom that the elderly members of a family bring. You are so valued in this place, you elderly people. To uncles and aunts and cousins, you bring wholeness to often our dysfunctional families in this day and age. Your uncles and aunts and cousins, nobody here is discounted. Everybody seen through the eyes of God is so valued. And what you bring to this fellowship is vital. What you bring to it. You've come here and you're thinking, what's in it for me? W-I-I-F-M. But no, it's what's in it for others when you come. When you come, you add such a flavor, such a depth, and you bring your gifts and your resources, and we would be desperately poorer if you don't come. And come not just... Not just come once every two or three weeks, but come every week. When you're not here, we desperately miss you. We do so desperately miss you. Try preaching to ten people. I need more than that, amen? (laughs) Galatians 5.13 speaks of liberty, Christian liberty. In fact, the whole book of Galatians speaks of liberty. And it says, the tail end of that verse says, through love, serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, and as each one has received a gift, you each have received a gift. That's what the Bible says. You say, I've got no gifts, but the Bible says differently. And I would rather believe the, the Bible than what you've got to say. Because the, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. The Lord says, I have established my word in the heavens and it will not be moved. It's immovable. The word of the Lord. As each one has received, you have a ministry gift. Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Incredible, isn't it? You have so much. Visitors alike here today. You have brought something, your richness in what God has implanted in you. Before he formed you in the womb, the Lord knew you. And he knew this body and he has brought you into this fellowship to inject and give freely of that ministry gift, that substance of God that is in you to share for the benefit of that word? Others. 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 I've never looked at fellowship before, even really in this way, the last couple of days, but through others. I'm always joined a fellowship through my own needs. That church has got this, this, and this, and this. I like that. Totally discounting a church who didn't have those things. Some of those attributes I had, but I went over here. And the Lord would have it otherwise. I'll touch now just on on another, another, another thing which I believe will totally transform your spiritual life. And it's called gaining spiritual momentum. Who would like some spiritual momentum? Amen? Spiritual momentum, whether you're young in the faith or old in the faith... We all need a spiritual momentum. I've been told if you don't go a certain speed on a push bike, you'll fall over. And I've seen it over and over again. I've only been a Christian for 30 odd years and I've seen so many people just fall over because they didn't have enough spiritual momentum to keep it on track. But Newton's first law, if if, uh, it states that a body at rest will remain at rest unless an outside force acts upon it, And a body in motion at a constant velocity will remain in motion in a straight line unless acted upon it by an outside force. That outside force, that external force, 
It's like the whole of the earth is standing in quicksand and the external force that took us out of the quicksand was God. Amen. He was outside our direct parameter of influence and you need an external force. You need the power of God to take you out of your quicksand of a life. The miry clay. Amen. And so momentum, if an object is moving, it is said to have momentum. I said a number of weeks ago that some of the largest steam locomotives in the United States, they were as big as this building, and they could turn off the steam and that locomotive would continue in direction for almost 100 miles without any more because of momentum. Momentum is what's imperative in the Christian walk. And the only person that can affect momentum is yourself When you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Amen? And you can sow seeds of momentum in your life. You can sow the Word of God. You can begin to develop a prayer life. You can begin to get in there and worship. You can come along to a prayer meeting. You can come along to the midweek meeting. And you'll find before very, very long, you've got a spiritual momentum happening that will affect and alter not only your own life, not only your marriage, not only your family, but this community. Momentum will take us through. Momentum. And then when sickness comes, there's a bit of a stall there. When your finances falter and everything like that. But momentum has an an ever-present faith working within you. And it will take you through those valleys. We love the mountaintop experiences. Between one mountaintop experience and another is always a valley. And that's called life. And we should prepare the time, those times. The promise of God says, when the storms in life come, that is one of the promises. It's not one of the promises we like to claim, but it's there nonetheless. Between this mountaintop high and this mountaintop high over here is a huge valley. And the Lord takes us through the valley. We don't stop in the valley. He takes us. He doesn't take us out of the valley. He takes us through the valley. And so, is there anybody in the house this morning who's been, ever been a member of a sporting team? Is there anybody there? Oh, I know Shane has. He's a footballer. Great footballer of long ago. Oh, okay. Phil has? Sporting? Football? Who here has played rugby league? Touch football? Softball? Volleyball? They're all team events, aren't they? And uh, perhaps cricket. Not my game, but... But who's ever signed up, attended the first practice, first training session, and then on the Sunday or the Saturday when they played, you rocked up and you played the game. And then, uh, and then uh, you miss the next practice, you mix the next game, you mix the next practice, and you attended the next game. Do you expect to play? No. We had a thing in football, and if you didn't train, you didn't play. And, uh, but Jesus is the captain of this team, and we're called, in the Greek, it's called the Ecclesia or Ecclesia. And it means that we are the called out ones. You have been privileged to be called out. You have been predestined before the foundation of the earth to be called out to join and to answer the captain's call. And the captain is Jesus. And we say, yes, sir. We are two ICs. We're not, we don't run the show. He is the captain of our souls, says the Bible. He is the captain or lord of the hosts or the armies of heaven. And uh, many are called, but few are chosen. And so, but who's ever gone to the gym? And another, another analogy there. Who's ever gone to the gym and expected to make physical gains 
by going once a week. Who's ever gone to the gym and tried to make physical gains by going twice or maybe once every fortnight? <laughs> Who's ever gone to the gym once every three weeks and expected to make any sort of gains? We are kidding ourselves, right? All we do is make ourselves sore because we're never in a place we don't have any momentum. Why do we think? How much more of value is our spiritual work than any earthly pursuit, perhaps, of playing football, playing in a team of cricket or volleyball or doing any other team event? How much more is your heavenly pursuit of more value than all of those things? Faith can operate and be effective when we're on the top of our spiritual game. And I pray today that if you're not on top of your spiritual game, and only you can answer that, you can say to myself, can you be honest with yourselves? Can we be honest this morning with ourselves? Am I on top of my spiritual game? Some people will say, no, I'm not. In fact, most of us will say, no, I can do better. I know myself I can do better. Let's put it that way. Spiritual muscle is developed through reason of use, just like every other muscle, like every other form of training in any sports. Many of us could pull a spiritual hamstring when walking through the doors of the church because <laughs> we're not warmed up to it. We're not spiritually in the zone. We just thought, oh, I've got a conviction, I'll go to church. Sometimes once or twice, Christmas and Easter or something like that. Many of us could do that. The midweek meet keeps the spiritual momentum pumping for those who want to grow in God. That's what the midweek meet. Most churches that I've ever attended have two or three meetings during the week. Some have prayer meetings every single day of the week, Monday to Friday at least. I've been to churches and we used to go, I used to travel 45 minutes from Mission Beach to Innisfail to go to a six o'clock prayer meeting before work. And it was awesome. It was just incredible. And it put you in a spiritual dynamic position. Amen. And, and, and you got into a place where all things were possible to him who believes. And we can, place our, we can position ourselves for success by having this thing called spiritual momentum in our life. And I've always thought, uh, Catherine Kuhlman uh, uh, said it this way. So she said, some people can have just enough Christianity to make them miserable. <laughs> and I, I, I've seen that for myself over the years. Just enough Christianity because all you do is, all you know is the do's and the don'ts. But you don't realize the life and life abundant there is when you begin to have a dynamic prayer life. When you're in the Word every day through a Bible reading plan, I found it myself one of the best ways. I've read the Bible so many times. Some days I've taken six months, sometimes I've taken three months. Last year I read it through every second month. It was fantastic. You can work it all out. 1,189 chapters in here and you can do this many a day. You do 20 chapters of the day of the Bible and you get through it in no time at all. Do 25 chapters and you've got it knocked over in eight weeks. And you've got momentum to understand the continuity of God's word. Have you ever challenged yourself to do something like that? Build spiritual momentum in your life. It is a wonderful thing to do. And revelation, you, and the thing is, uh, when you begin to sow seeds of righteousness, you can sow to the flesh or you can sow to the spirit. But when you begin to sow the spirit, you see that you'll wash TV less. You'll push all this other stuff. You'll begin to cut stuff out of your life 
that is unproductive, unfruitful, and actually at enmity. He says the world is at enmity with the things of God, which means the world itself is hostile towards the things of God. And when you begin to cut those things that are hostile away from God, you will find it far, far easier to tap into the Bible. People say, oh, the Bible is hard to understand. But what I've found when you commit yourself to it and open your heart to it, the word of God just opens up and it's like a fresh spring of running water over your soul. And it begins to speak to you and it begins to minister to you and it begins to build you and you get spiritually stronger, physically stronger. I know when my prayer life is really on its game that I I can't help but flex in my muscle. I can't help but go and doing a few push-ups or running outside and getting because it revitalizes your whole life. Sozo means body, soul and spirit which Jesus came to save. That's what the word sozo means, save. When he saved us, it was body, soul, and spirit. Who's getting something out of this this day? When we reach for the word of God, do we leave fingerprints in the dust? (laughs) Millions of people have paid a heavy price for you to have the word of God. They're called the martyrs of old, but there's just as many martyrs this very day, only you don't hear about it so much. Millions of people have paid a price for you to have a copy of the word of God on your shelf, not to gather dust, but to be sown in your very, very spirit. Open it up and sow the seeds of righteousness and it will transform your thinking. If you are prone to depression, I had clinical depression which brought me to the cross. I should have been hospitalized for two years. I was on lithium, dosed up 16 lithium tablets for breakfast I used to have. Amen. Went to psychologists and psychiatrists, I went to grow, I went to this and I went to that. You name it, I went there to try to get the burden of depression which I felt was killing me on my life. The glorious thing about depression was the way that I had it, it was brought me to the cross. It brought me to Jesus. It broke that thing called pride in my life and I came to Jesus and I said, I don't have it all together and I need you. And it was the most glorious thing that I could have done. The most powerful thing that you can do is actually to surrender to God. And the thing is surrendering. We put up the white flag and we see it as a, something of cowardice or something not of strength. But in the eyes of God, it is a powerful thing to do to surrender to God. Would you stand to your feet right now? I want to tell you now that you're in the family of God. You're in good company. You're amongst people who only think and want the best for you. We want the best for your marriage. You're surrounded by people and friends who love you, who love your children, who want the best for your family, want the best for your careers, and want the best for your life. Jesus died on the cross that you would fulfill all heaven's potential in your life. Would you close your eyes right now? I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And this is basically the sort of prayer that I prayed over 30 years ago on my bedroom floor when I saturated the carpet on my floor with my tears, when I'd come to the end of the rope, I came to God. And it was the best thing that I could have ever done. And I prayed a simple prayer a bit like this, and I'd ask you that you repeat it. And you know what? If you mean it from the depths of your heart, your life will be transformed or transferred from the kingdom of darkness and to the kingdom of light. 
You might have been baptised in the church as a child. You may have been to the church service here and there. But this is different. This is personalising the person of Jesus Christ. We know that he took the sins of the world, but do you know that he's taken your sins? And so pray this prayer. And I guarantee if you mean it from the depths of your heart, your life, well, I'll use a term, and the Bible says you'll be born again. It says you'll be born anew or born from above. And it doesn't mean you I'm not a churchman, but I'm a Christ-like person. And that's altogether different. Jesus didn't die on a cross for a theology or a denomination. He died on the cross to save your soul. I'm going to pray this prayer now, and I pray that you join me in it with all your heart. Jesus, Jesus, I come to you now. Come to you now. I'm a sinful person. I'm a sinful person. I ask. I am sorry for my sin. I'm sorry. I ask that you forgive me. I ask that you forgive me. Wash and cleanse me with your blood. Wash and cleanse me with your blood. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I receive the Holy Spirit into my life now. I receive the Holy Spirit into my life now. I thank you, Father, that I am born again. I thank you, Father, that I am born again. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I'm going to pray a blessing over this congregation now. Father, I bring this body of believers, this family, our family, before your throne of grace. And I release the blessing of heaven, Father, over each and every one of their lives. I pray the Holy Spirit, Lord, would hover and brood over their life as you brooded over the waters of creation. Settle and rest, Lord, upon these people, upon their family, upon their marriages, upon their finances and upon their health. We be- this is a house where we believe in miracles for you have never ceased being a God of miracles I release the blessing of heaven the favour of God and the shalom peace of God upon this people in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name